<clears throat> well, good morning. Good to be in the Lord's house. I had a nightmare this morning. I, uh, I guess, I don't know what time it was, but I dreamed that I overslept uh, for church, and it was 1 o'clock when I woke up. Yeah. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You think, well, that's not a nightmare. That's, that would be my dream, you know, for this to be over. But, uh, the, but the really sad part is I, I looked at Lori in my dream. I'm still in my dream here. I looked at Lori, and I said, uh, did nobody call to see where I was? And she said, check your phone. And I looked, and sure enough, not a single one of you had called to check on me. <laughs> so those of you that know how to interpret dreams, you tell me what that means. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. I was really scared, but, uh, but anyway, so when that alarm went off, I was real thankful this morning. Um, <clears throat> preachers have weird dreams, we do. Uh, we have all kinds of idiosyncrasies about us, but uh, interesting times we live in, right? Balloons flying over, and uh, there was a ball game last night, I'm told. I, that's all I'm going to say about it. I heard there was a, an important ball game last night, but... Uh, but there's something a whole lot more important, and that's the book of Revelation that we're in this morning. And uh, so I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> now, last week we talked about the, uh, the church at Ephesus. The name Ephesus actually means desirable. And from all outward appearances, this was a very desirable church. But uh, upon further examination, Jesus said there's some serious deficiency here. They had not lost their first love. They had left their first love. And so Christ urged them to repent. And so we come to the church at Ephesus this morning. So I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me. This is actually the shortest section uh, in the letters to the churches, I think. Revelation 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead, and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. This is the word of the Lord. I ask Preacher Larry if he'll pray for us this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we come to church today. And we thank you that we have the privilege of studying this great passage of Scripture. Help us, Lord, to be attentive. Help us, Father, to receive the message. Lord, bless our pastor as he stands before us each Sunday. We thank you for him. We pray that you'd use him in your work. Lord, bless those who are sick. We know that there are a number of people in our church family who are sick today, and there are others who are facing surgery. We pray, Father, that you'd be with each one of them and give them healing. Now, help us to be attentive as we hear thy word proclaimed. Yes. Amen. Amen. Maybe seated. Let's go to the first slide, if we could. 
I don't know how many of you can see that the lighting uh, with the lighting in here, but I wanted to put a little map up. Thank you. Uh, a little map. Now y'all don't go to sleep, but uh, uh, put a little map up here of Asia Minor so you can kind of see the layout of how this works. Now uh, off to the left, the southeast, uh, excuse me, southwest coast is the island of Patmos. Uh, the first church there is Ephesus, and uh, by the way, this is like a postal route. This is how the letters would be delivered, uh, and they're in the, the exact order. And then right to the north, about 35 miles to the north, is the church of Smyrna, or city of Smyrna. And then it goes up further north to Pergamum, then it comes back down, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So that's how the letter, that's how the book of Revelation would travel, Okay. And uh, so Ephesus being the first stop, that would be, that's why it's the first letter in the order. And remember also that every one of the churches uh, that the Holy Spirit says, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches, plural. So uh, even though they would make stops along the way, uh, the church at Ephesus would hear, you know, what, what's happening in Smyrna and, and so on and so forth. And so Laodicea would be the last, uh, last one on the route. Uh, just a few uh, factoids about, uh, I may have to deviate from my notes because I'm feeling kind of cumbersome with this <laughs> this morning, but um, there's no record of the origin of the church at Smyrna, uh, presumably the book of Acts chapter 19 where Paul uh, comes to Ephesus, that would be uh, the, the beginning of it. The city was long an ally of Rome and emperor worship was, was huge. And the, the, it was the site of the imperial cult. It was a capital offense not to offer uh, incense to the emperor once a year. Every year they would have to offer up a pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. That's why I got all worked up when we were singing about the king earlier. Uh, because Jesus is Lord. And so the Christians couldn't say Caesar is Lord. And because of that, they would not be able to carry a little certificate. And so they wouldn't be able to participate in, uh, really, in society. They'd be the scum of the earth. Uh, the name Smyrna actually comes from a Greek word that means myrrh. And that's a picture of myrrh up there. On the, in case you're wondering, that's not like crunching much. Uh, I don't eat that because I've got too many fillings in my teeth. But uh, that's not crunching much. That's myrrh. Okay? Uh, myrrh was a perfume uh, used. Uh, it was also used in the high priest. Uh, his anointing oil, but it's also used for embalming. Uh, you, you know, the, when the wise men came to Jesus, they brought gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh. Uh, myrrh is also used for embalming. So some see this as a, a reference to his death on the cross. And John 19, we read that Nicodemus brought a huge amount of uh, myrrh to, to help with, with Jesus when he uh, took him down off the cross. Um, I got a lot of other factoids here, stuff you may or may not be interested in, but uh, this was a beautiful city. Uh, there was an uh, uh, architecture around Mount Pragus uh, called a crown. You know, Jesus said they're gonna, he's going to give them a crown of life. Uh, the city was conquered. This is important. The city was conquered in about 600 B.C. But then one of Alexander's generals, Lysimachus, Alexander the Great, he rebuilt uh, the city in about 290 B.C. So the city had been dead, and it lived again. You understand? 
uh, the symbolism uh, with that. It exists today. It is the modern city in Turkey called Izmir. Anybody ever heard of Izmir? Some of you had. Well, that's Turkey. Uh, that's, that's Smyrna. All right, I think that's all the History Channel stuff I'm going to give you on that. But I just wanted you to be aware that this was, a, this was a place that was hostile to Christians. It was not easy to be a Christian in Smyrna. All right, let's get into the book now. Um, he says in verse 8, he says, He's the first and the last. which was dead and is alive. It's important to know that Jesus Christ is Lord even over death. Death can't conquer him. He has the power. He has all power in heaven and earth. Let's go to the next slide. Now these are from Isaiah, of course, and these are familiar to us. And they state the fact that Jesus Christ uh, is indeed God. Isaiah 44, 6 uh, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord, I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. Jesus Christ is God. That's what He's telling them. He said, I'm, I was dead, and I'm alive, and I'm God. Caesar's not God. Let's go to the next slide. He says, I know you're works and your tribulation and your poverty. Now we already talked a little bit about uh, tribulation. The word is thalipsis, it means pressure. And these guys were under tremendous pressure. Uh, and I want to say this to you, if you're a believer in Christ, you're going to have pressure. Pressure from without, pressure from within. Uh, you're going to find yourself in tight spots sometimes. And, and don't think that when you go through it that God has abandoned you. You know, this is all part of the plan, that we, we go through uh, pressure. Now, he says to this church, he says, I know your uh, poverty. Now, the word for poverty here is not the normal word for poor. Uh, there, there are several words for poor. Uh, one word means not having any excess, but having enough. And probably most of us grew up like that. You know, we've, we may not have had a whole lot of extra, but we always had what we needed. You know, thank God for that. But this is a different word for poverty, and the Greek word is tokia. Give you Greek in small doses, the T is, P is silent. But it means poverty that, that runs to the depths. Uh, these people were uh, destitute. Uh, a takos, which is a form of takia, is a beggar. And Lazarus, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the Bible says that Lazarus was a takos. He was a uh, deep poverty there. Um, their poverty was probably due to the fact that they refused to worship the emperor. Yeah. But what does Jesus say about this church? That's the irony, isn't it? They were... Poor by earthly standards, but by heavenly standards, they were rich. We need to be rich toward God. We need to be rich toward God. Jesus said, don't lay up treasure on earth, but lay up treasure where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, or thieves cannot break through 
uh, and still. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Now for our interactive part of the service. Oh, Adam's got his glasses on. Good. <clears throat> you say, why are you always picking on Adam? Because he sits close by. Yeah. I see it. I love y'all just the same. If you want me to pick on you, I will. You're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Um, Luke chapter 12. Now, this is an interesting story. Um, Beginning in verse 13. So, uh, Adam, would you read Luke 12, verses 13 through 21? And I'll give you a microphone this time. <laughs> then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell, me, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator of you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful, and he thought it within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. Thank you for that. So there's just a, a little lesson for us, you know, that the important things are uh, the things that are eternal. Now, uh, you see in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, the same word, uh, tokia, that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that we through his poverty might be, what? Rich. Praise God. Now the next thing Jesus says in Revelation 2, verse 9, he says, I know. Aren't you glad God knows? I mean, aren't you glad? Jesus knows. He knows it all and he loves us anyway. He says, I know your poverty, your tribulation. He says, you're rich. But he also says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews. Now, they were, they were descendants of Abraham, no doubt. But they're not really the people of God because they were persecuting the church. Let's go um, to the next slide. Now, what is the blasphemy of the Jews or the accusations? Well, there are a number of things that they did. And the really wicked thing is, is that the Jews sided with Rome, <laughs> saying that Caesar is Lord against uh, the Christians. But there were a number of things. Number one, they accused Christians of cannibalism because of the Lord's Supper. Because remember, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, which we know that was symbolic there. Uh, they accused him of immorality. You ever read in the Bible where it says, give one another a holy kiss? You know, you want me to start that back up here at Deep Springs? <laughs> That's got kind of a cool response there. Like, no, I don't even want to fist bump anybody. You know. 
But there, in some cultures, they still do that. You might see, you know, in the Eastern cultures, you see the men, you know, and it's not, there's nothing sexual about it. It's just a, you know, a custom. Um, you know, thinking about customs, I was looking through the church cookbook the other day. How many of y'all like to do the recipes from the Deep Springs cookbook? Anybody? Man, I sure do. And, uh, and I was looking in the front, and it was talking about the history of the church. And, and I think me and Judy Tucker were talking about this a few weeks ago. And, and Judy told me I need to start this back up. But it, it said in the, in the notes there that if you miss three services in a row, you'd have to come before the church and ask for forgiveness. And, and Judy said we should start that back up. And so uh, I know we're not in a business meeting, but I'd like a motion, please. <laughs> no, can you imagine us doing that now? I don't know. But it, times change, I know. God doesn't change. Um, I think we need to get back to a lot of the old ways, though. I'm not picking on it. Thank God for the dedication that they had, right? Church was important, and it's still important. It is. Okay, enough of that. I'm, I'm meddling now. Uh, they accused them of breaking up homes, you know, because sometimes spouses wouldn't be saved. Uh, rebellion. They refused to say Caesar's Lord. Now, uh, strangely enough, they were called atheists because they refused to worship the pantheon of gods. Now, isn't that just like the devil to make the Christian the bad guy? And you know it still happens today. Conservative Christians are public enemy number one. And all we want to do is see people saved. I mean, that's it. Let's go to the next slide. So who's a Jew? Well, Paul answers that in Romans 2, verse 28. He's not a Jew which is one outwardly, uh, nor circumcision which is in the flesh. But he's a Jew which is one where? Inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. So you see... They call themselves Jews, but they were not the people of God. Old John the Baptist said the same thing, didn't he? He said, don't, don't say just because Abraham's our father, we're going to heaven. He said, God's able to raise up of these stones, children under Abraham. Don't you know that made him happy when he said that? <laughs> All right. Now, uh, they're not called a church, are they? What are they called? What are these, these so-called Jews called? Revelation 2, verse 9. Wow. Ouch. They're not an ecclesia, a church, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Terrible. Uh, I wasn't going to go there, but let's do this just for fun. John chapter 8. <laughs> this is just too much fun not to, not to share this. All right, Adam, I hope your mic's still hot over there. If it's not, get it out of standby mode. And... <laughs> All right, John chapter 8. Jesus is going to have an interaction here with the religious uh, elite. And if you would, read verses 31 through 44. 31 through 44. And I thank you ahead of time. Then Jesus said to the, those Jews who believed him, 
If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? Jesus answered him, Most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Forty-one. I saw see verse forty-four. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. But I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and a father of it. Thank you. Wow. So in essence, Jesus says, you're not uh, Jews. You are the synagogue of who? Satan. The really funny part is, he says, you're acting like your daddy. (laughs) Right? How many mothers have said that to their children? (laughs) Probably quite a few. All right. Let's go back to Revelation. All right, verse 10, Revelation 2, verse 10, Jesus says, don't be afraid or stop being afraid or fear not. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Notice Jesus is predicting the future. And he doesn't sound like a television evangelist, does he? He doesn't say you're about to have your best life now. Things are about to be rosy and peachy. He says you're getting ready to suffer. Now imagine this, guys. We're we're so far removed from this. We really are. But this is the last letter from Jesus to the church. Imagine receiving this letter. Now the folks at Ephesus have already heard it. And they know what's coming for Smyrna. But imagine Smyrna gets this letter and all all of a sudden the preacher stands up and says, All right, guys, things are about to get really bad. What would you do? Let me ask you, this is a a rhetorical question. What would you do if I got up here and said, God told me that every Christian in here is going to suffer intensely for 10 days and some of you are going to have to give your life for Jesus Christ? That would be a sobering thought, wouldn't it? And yet, it's happening all over the world. All over the world, people are dying for Jesus Christ. I read somewhere that more people were killed for Jesus in the last uh, hundred years than any time in history. It's, it's uh, tragic. But God says, don't be afraid. He says, behold the devil. 
shall cast some of you into prison. Notice he didn't say Domitian or Caesar, the emperor. He said the devil. You know your enemy's not flesh and blood? Now you do have an enemy. You can ignore him if you want to. But your enemy is not your spouse. It's not the person sitting in the church with you. It's not your co-worker. It's not your boss. Your enemy is personal. He's real. And he wants to steal, kill, and to destroy. Let's go to the next slide. Let me tell you who your real enemy is. We find him in Genesis 3. You don't have to turn there. He's the serpent. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says that the devil as a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants you. Now if you're a believer, he can't have you. But he's content to make your life miserable. Uh, Look in Revelation uh, 12 really quick. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the serpent. But we're never told who he is until we get to the book of Revelation. And then, and then it's revealed. Are you in Revelation 12 now? All right. Adam, you want to read verses 9 and 10? So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world. And he was cast out to the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who was accused them before our God day and night, has been cast out. Mm. You have an, an adversary that accuses you day and night before the throne. Of God. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now Ephesians 5, uh, excuse me, in Ephesians 6, you don't have to turn there. But Paul says our, our battle's not with flesh and blood, but it's with spiritual wickedness in high places. And he says the, uh, the only way to deal with that is to put on the whole armor of God. That's Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Now trials are normal for Christians. Peter says, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is a trial. James says, count it all joy when you fall into difficult circumstances or diverse uh, temptations. There are, however, limits to what Satan can do. Let's go to Luke 22. Now, (laughs) Satan wanted to destroy Job, and he accused Job to the father. Because he's the accuser of the brethren. And God allowed Satan to try Job. But there were limits to what he allowed. Luke 22, 
Same thing's going to happen with Peter. Adam, would you read verses 31 and 32? Luke 22, 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that you may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strength your brother. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times. And you know me. All right. So Satan wanted Peter, right? He had to ask for permission. And, say, and Jesus said, you can, you can test him, but there's a limit. So uh, that's a word for us. Let's go back to Revelation 2 now. I know we're doing a lot of flipping. But you can take a nap this afternoon, so don't, don't get all bent out of shape. Now, Jesus says to this church, He says, you're going to have tribulation for how long? Ten days. Now, some people would ask, what do you think the ten days mean? And buckle your seatbelt. I believe it means ten days. <laughs> some people say, well, I believe it's symbolic of ten ages, ten different ages. Or it's, it represents ten different Roman emperors that are going to persecute the church. But this is intended to comfort the church at Smyrna. Okay, So... I kind of find it hard to believe that Jesus would say, all right, don't be afraid. Uh, things are going to be bad for the next hundred years, but it's, it's going to be okay. I, I don't believe that God would say that to the church at Smyrna. I believe, the, I believe the point is, is that this is a limited period of time. You know, uh, that's only for 10 days. And uh, I suppose one day we're going to meet these folks from the church at Smyrna. And we might be able to ask them, what were those 10 days like? And they might say, they were awful. But I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I made it through because now I've got a crown of life that the Lord has promised those that love Him. Mm. You'll have ten, uh, tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death. You may have to give your life for Jesus Christ. Now guys, I know we live in the good old U.S. of A. And I, I believe this is the best country in the world. And I thank God that I was born here. I thank God for all the military men and women who gave their life so that I could be free, so that I could stand here today and preach the Word of God. But I want to tell you, if Jesus tarries, there could come a day when being a Christian is, is to be an enemy of the state here. This generation that's coming up in, in Congress and in the Senate, and I'm, I'm talking about both parties. Forget about, I'm, I'm not being partisan this morning. There's a godless culture that would love to push us out, of, to completely marginalize us and silence the voice of every Christian. And if you don't believe it, just look in some of these other countries where it's already happening, where it's against the law to preach the Word of God. And we may be faced with a choice. Uh, you don't have to turn here, but in Daniel chapter 1, uh, Daniel and his three friends, they were tested for 10 days. Uh, they, they wouldn't eat the king's meat or drink his wine. And then after 10 days, they passed the exam. 
and they were promoted. So I think there's a parallel there, but I wouldn't press it too far. He said, I'll give you a crown of life. This is the Stephanus crown. This is the laurel wreath. It's very intricate. And it was given to those who won in the, uh, the Greek games. It was, a, it was a symbol of victory. And it was very uh, conspicuous. All right. Verse 11. He who has an ear, and that's all of us, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. It's plural, right? So I know we're here in Peachland today, and we're not suffering any persecution, but let's hear the message to Smyrna. That it might be, it might be that one day you'll have to give your life for Jesus Christ. That's not beyond the realm of possibility, folks. It's really not. And I'm not here to scare you. Please, don't, I don't, I'm not acting as a prophet or, or anything. But just imagine we were invaded by a foreign country. You say, well, that could never happen. Really? Don't be so sure. What if all of a sudden you had some communists invade us and say it's against the law to worship God, and if I catch you doing this, I'm going to kill you. you know? The world can change very quickly. September the 11th showed us that. COVID showed us that. Even our own government, look how they overreached. And we're, you know, we're one of the best places on earth. Uh, so hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. Now there's a promise made to the one who overcomes. So uh, again, you're going to see this theme in every letter. Who's the overcomer? Let's go to the next slide. Now Jesus says, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, right? And if I'm a Christian, Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit live in me. And so we've overcome the world because greater is He who's in us than he that's in the world. But John answers it, 1 John 5. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Faith. Who is he that overcomes? Who is the overcomer? He answers it right here. Who's the overcomer, guys? He that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. How many of you believe that? This morning. You believe that? You believe it with all your heart? Guess what? You're an overcomer. <clears throat> if you believe that, according to the Bible, you're an overcomer. Praise God. I'm not a loser. I'm on the winning side. I'm an overcomer. But there's a promise made to the overcomer. The Bible says he's not going to be heard of the second death. Let's go to the next slide. We're almost finished here. You've heard this cliche. You might want to memorize it. You're born once, you'll die twice. You're born twice, you die once. Or get raptured. That's, why, that's how I'm hoping to go. Jesus said you must be born again. Now in Daniel 12... Many of them that sleep, verse 2, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and uh, contempt for how long? The Bible does not teach annihilation. 
Hell is eternal. It's eternal punishment. John 5, 28. Jesus said, Marvel not at this, the hour is coming, in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice, and they shall come forth, they that have done good, into the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil, into the resurrection of what? That's terrible. That's terrible. To be resurrected and given a body suited for the lake of fire. See, people say, well, how can somebody burn forever? You know, that wouldn't we just burn it up? No, you'll have a body. That's what this is teaching here. You'll have a resurrected body that's capable of burning for eternity. Now, if that doesn't do anything to you, if that doesn't move you, I don't know what would. That's a sobering thought. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. This is the uh, last one. Let's go to the next slide. Last slide. Matter of fact, I want to show you something. Go to Revelation 19. Again, we see the Bible explaining the terminology. Jesus talks about the second death. And some people may say, well, I don't know what the second death is. Well, it's going to explain it to you. But look at Revelation 19. Um, Adam, would you read verse 20? Yeah, Revelation 19, verse 20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. All right, keep standing. Notice they were thrown alive into the lake of fire. That's going to happen when Jesus comes back the second time. Now Satan, on the other hand, is going to be bound for a thousand years. I'll tell you what, it's a short chapter, Adam. Just read chapter 20 for me, if you would. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, judgment that was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast for his, or his image and had not received his mark or their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who 
has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle those whose number is as of the sea of the sand. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Goodness, thank you. So you see that when the devil's thrown into the lake of fire, the Bible says that the beast and the false prophet are there, and they have been there for a thousand years, burning in the lake of fire. And it says that they're tormented forever and ever. This is no laughing matter, guys. This is, this is serious, serious business. I wouldn't, you're just one heartbeat away from eternity. I mean, just this week, a young family in our community experienced a tragic, tragic uh, loss, you know. I'm sure they got up that morning thinking it would be just like any other day. Had no idea they were going out into eternity. And that could be any one of us in this room. Or Christ could return in the air. He could. His coming is imminent, I believe. And the only way we're going to be saved, folks, notice the antithesis at the end of Revelation 20. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and they were judged according to their works. But the ones who were saved, they were saved because their names were written in the book of life. has nothing to do with their works has everything to do with the fact that their names are written down in the book of life. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. As we listen and we ponder the message to the church at Smyrna, to this church, Jesus had nothing bad to say. There was no condemnation. They and the church at Philadelphia share that distinction. But they were a persecuted church. I believe a persecuted church is a pure church. And maybe the reason that we don't have the power that we long for uh, or the purity is because we haven't suffered the persecution. And I'm, I, I'm not a prophet, but I, I would say we need to heed the message to the church at Smyrna. They were crushed, but they were a sweet aroma unto God. Jesus Christ, I'm going to make this as simple and short as possible. Jesus Christ died on the cross he wore the crown of thorns. He took the nails. He was beaten beyond recognition. He did all of that.
because he was taking the penalty that was due every one of us in this room. Every one of us are guilty before God. And God put upon Jesus Christ the wrath that rightfully belonged to each one of us. He was placed in that tomb. He died on the cross. He was placed in the tomb. And He rose again the third day. And He is alive forevermore. And if we will put our trust in Him, completely put our trust in Him, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. We need to repent. We need to just come to God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a simple prayer. It's not, it's not complicated. Just say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It may be here that you're a believer here today. You're away from the Lord. But it's just one step back to the Father's house. Just say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. I repent. And He will receive you with open arms. And His promise to you is that you will not have to suffer the second death. You will be an overcomer. So I invite you to come to the altar this morning.